You're listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Weekend Message Podcast. To learn more about our community, like what we believe and how you can take a next step, visit us online at hcfcornwall.ca or join us for one of our services this weekend, Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 11 here at 847 York Street. We were talking, that's why we didn't get the cue. I was talking. (laughs) Well, how many dads do we have in here this morning? How many registered your kids to go downstairs this morning? So we have a a gift card, and um, it was for a dad that had signed their child in, and it's Daniel Grise that won this morning. So, Daniel, we have a $100 gift card to Canadian Tire for you. Come down here and get it. Dan is a great dad. He's actually Mr. Mom, right? The Canadian Tire part was my idea, just saying. <laughs> Come on. If you don't like Canadian Tire, Thanks, you could give it to me. And <laughs> Okay, that brings me to my next point. So, it's not your turn yet. Um, I, I just want to honor Roy. Uh, he's obviously my husband. And he was a, an amazing father to our five boys. I'm not and anymore. And I was, well, you're not letting me finish. Oh, okay. Well, you said was. Who has control of his mic? Shut it I have my own mic, though. Just turn it off. (laughs) Um, And not only has Roy been a great uh, father to our sons, but he's been an amazing father to the body. And you know, he is the shepherd, and he does... He, I mean, I see what he carries in our home, and sometimes it may be looking like he's just sipping coffee and with his feet on his desk, but he's not. He's actually, <laughs> he actually works hard. I see many nights where he sits at the dining room table till late hours preparing or getting ready for a wedding or something. So I just want to honor Roy. Could you stand this morning and just oh, honor Pastor? Um, and thank he you. also gets thank a gift you. card to Canadian Tire. Oh, right. Happy Father's Day. Wow. Thank you so much. Canadian Tire melts my heart every time. You may be seated. Wow. Well, I've got some shout-outs uh, today. What a great day. We're just celebrating a number of things. And, uh, and so I'd like to congratulate Frank Coleman and Natalie Carroll. We've got some pictures. They recently graduated from Bible College. This is Frank. He graduated from uh, Life Center School of the Bible. And this is Natalie, Portland Bible College. And uh, go ahead, give it up for them. And we're just so proud of our young people wanting to train so that they can have greater impact uh, in the kingdom of God. And so just so proud of them. I want to congratulate today uh, Bert and Winnie, and they're at the back. Could you guys just stand for a second? And just like Mufasa, you need to, uh, there's a little one, and this is, this baby is an absolute miracle. I'd like to present to you Dulce Flavis Obiang. And I sure hope I got that right. Bless you guys, we love you, and we love the story of God's faithfulness. This couple uh, having difficulty conceiving, the doctor said, if I've got the story right, um, 
the doctors said there would be um, probably no chance. They were on their way to fertility, to go to the next step for fertility treatment, only to find out they were already pregnant. And there she is. Big congratulations today as well to Larry and Diana McDougall. We married them yesterday in the Lost Villages. Where are you guys on your first day of your honeymoon with us? There they are. We got to see them get water baptized Easter Sunday and then married yesterday. Just love how uh, when people just invite Jesus into their hearts, he just fills every space of your life and blesses that. And uh, Lena, we prayed for you this morning. We believe it's tomorrow, eh, your C-section? Uh-huh. You know what, sweetheart? Everything's going to go great. It's going to be wonderful. We just bind fear in Jesus' name right now that you're just going to this time tomorrow, whatever time it's scheduled, you'll be holding that little one and knowing the faithfulness of God. I want to talk to you today. This is our final installment on redigging the wells. And uh, I'll share with you the title in just a moment. Let's just backtrack a little bit because we've been doing this for a number of weeks. Uh, this is, was supposed to be a one-off. A one-off, I was going to preach one message, and uh, it turned into, as many of our series do, turned into a six- or seven-part series that um, I know personally I've enjoyed, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Let's start back in Genesis, when, uh, and the theme is redigging the wells. That Isaac, who is a prosperous man, that prosperity the enemy could not touch. God, uh, the enemy cannot touch your blessing. God blesses you. The enemy cannot touch God's blessing, but what he can do and the New Testament, it tells us, don't, don't underestimate, uh, King James says, the wiles of the devil, the schemes and, the, and, and just the tricks that he tries to play. And so what he did is he started kicking uh, dirt into Isaac's wells. Well, in that agricultural area, water was so important. And so if he thought he had 10 wells, and well, I've got nine now, I won't bother digging that one out. We still have water. It begins to shrink your capacity. And the enemy wants to shrink your capacity, my capacity. The enemy wants to shrink Harvest Christian Fellowship's capacity uh, to, be, to do and to live in the space that God has given us. Well, Isaac, being a smart follower of God, realized that, uh, that these wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of Father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up filling them with earth. It goes on, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. We gave some names to wells here at Harvest. Now just beginning our 20th year, uh, as Christine and I and our family uh, came over, we were Canadians, I did a short stint of 12 years in the United States, and came, and God called us here to Cornwall, and began to dig the wells in this community uh, as in obedience to the Lord. And we've seen God establish and we're reopening because COVID we felt like kind of did some stuff over two years. And so the well of family, the well of healing, the well of financial provision, the well of deliverance that we sang about today, the freedom uh, that God gives us, and the well of healthy relationships last weekend's conference with Bob and Audrey uh, Messner. How many enjoyed that conference with Bob and Audrey? Wasn't that great? They are friends of this house, and we're looking forward to their uh, continued support uh, here at Harvest. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Plural, that's why we're looking at the wells, all that Jesus provided for us. This is not an exhaustive list, but they're the ones I felt were important to look at. Father, we thank you so much that today as we celebrate Father's Day, I pray for every dad. Lord, I pray for that dad today that the enemy's just 
been whispering in his ear that you're not enough. You're not gonna be a good enough dad. Boy, your kids are gonna need therapy when they get older or whatever. The enemy is trying to push dads down. We just get up underneath every dad right now and the spirit of the, the God's Holy Spirit will just come underneath. Lord, we're able to do what you've called us to do. You've called us to be dads. So we're able to do that. For that dad who says, I don't think I can do this. Lord, just let them know right now in the grace that is available, we can do it. Lord, this message today as we conclude the series, the well of being born again, people being saved in this region. Lord, let us embrace this as a church as we never have before, I ask in your name. And everyone said, amen. So I thought it'd be apropos to, to end the series uh, with the most important well of all, and that's the well of being born again of the new birth, of finding Jesus and finding new birth uh, in him. The Bible says that we are born in iniquity and sin. We're separated from God, but there can be a second birth, a spiritual birth. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about it in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus, a Pharisee, one who had studied the Bible his whole life, didn't understand what Jesus was saying. He literally said to Jesus, look, I don't get it. Do I crawl back up inside my mom and come back outside again? Like, it doesn't make sense. He said, no, no, not a physical birth a spiritual birth that's done by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks to a man or a woman or child in a kid's camp to their heart, and they say yes to Jesus, and we'll be given an opportunity at the end of this service, as we do in every service, for someone to receive Jesus today. I wanna give you some backdrop about what we as a church believe uh, about the end of the age, and the most important event at the end of the age is not Jesus coming back. That's kind of a culmination bow on it. He comes, he comes with, uh, with his church in the air, uh, but there is, there is something leading up to that that's actually, as we look at the scriptures, what Jesus is pointing at. And that is the great harvest at the end of the age. In fact, this truth that I'll just take a moment to talk about and, and then redig the well of seeing people saved uh, in our spheres of influence in our lives is we've been called to preach the gospel to everybody that we know in our sphere of influence that uh, just over 19 years ago, as Christine and I came, that we, we were birthing, uh, God was birthing it, but using our family and the team that was around us and Christine and I, as we prayed, felt that God gave us the name Harvest Christian Fellowship for this church that would be birthed. And that word harvest is very, very significant. Uh, it's not because we wanted perpetual fall colors uh, in, in the sanctuary or perpetual fall colors, uh, like the fall, you know, harvest time. No, it's, it's a theological truth, a doctrinal truth of the end of the age. And let me just show you a couple scriptures to help set the stage. Jesus was getting ready to leave the earth, and he said to his disciples, don't, be, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't worry about my leaving. He said, I, I, I'm going to go to my father, and in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you and myself. And so that he was promising them that uh, disciples, not just the 12, but disciples, Christ followers, uh, would physically see Jesus again. And he said it would be at, at the end of the age, at the end of time, at the end of history. Sometimes we say it this way, his story, history. As Jesus, Matthew 24, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Great question. When will this happen? When will you come back? He hasn't gone yet. They're asking, when will you come back? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? 
And so how will people, they thought it would be in their lifetime, and then um, the Apostle Paul teaches as he had more perspective as he taught the churches, that it could be at any moment, it's imminent, and yet there are a number of things that must take place. So we live in that expectation of imminency as Christ followers, but at the same time in realization that there's a plan that must be fulfilled, heaven's plan, before Jesus would return. So Jesus said this. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. In other scriptures, it says pestilence and COVID plagues and all kinds of things would happen that would identify this idea that the world is getting worse and worse, that sin is, is growing in the world and in the world system. But the scriptures are also very clear to teach that the church is growing stronger and stronger, more victorious. We're seeing this in other places of the world outside of North America, but I believe it's North America's time. In fact, I believe it's Cornwall's time to see a strong, vibrant, triumphant church, a victorious church in her full, powerful, Holy Spirit-empowered function uh, before Jesus would come back, before he would return. And the reason that's necessary is because of the task that we have that he's given the church. And so he said there would be all of these things that would take place, and, and the world would grow darker and darker. And what some churches do is they kind of huddle up. They huddle up in the four walls, and they talk about Jesus coming back as we would. We want that to happen. We believe that's the truth of the Scripture. But they're kind of holding the fort, so to speak. In fact, um, yesterday I was... Uh, in the in the marrying Diana and Larry, and they had the cutest flower girls and ring bearer, and uh, they were pulling out the little hymnals that were in the seat backs, the pew backs in that little church, and they uh, I was sitting with them, talking with them, and they wanted to know what it was, and we were opening up and looking at the hymns, and in that hymn book, there's an old hymn called "Hold the Fort," <laughs> and it's it the song, it, the theology is really upside down and sideways, um, no disrespect to the hymn writer. But the idea was that the church would hold on while it got darker and darker out there, we would huddle up in here and wait for Jesus to come back and rescue us from this big old bad world full of sin. And the idea being that sin's kind of contagious, so you gotta stay away from it. Just separate yourself from sin. Don't get near the sinner and don't get near sin and hide in church. Can I tell you, that is not the theology of harvest. <laughs> that is not the theology of the Bible, and that's why it's not the theology of harvest. We're not huddling up here because Jesus said, yes, there is stuff that's going to go on. And it's kind of troublesome stuff and scary stuff. But he said, see that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. And that was hard during COVID. And we had to encourage ourselves and, and talk to ourselves and remind ourselves, you know, this isn't the end. Hold on. This is, this is not the end. We're, the church is still busy doing what God has called it to do. And the church is getting stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker. I refuse to come under the statistics that say that churches are shrinking and, and, and they're, not, they're not attended as much. And in this part of history, that being true, but that is not our legacy. That is not our future. That is not where we're going. That Jesus is birthing churches all over the world, and in parts of the world right now, Christianity is growing faster than any other religion, any other persuasion, and I believe as we would have faith for it, we'll begin to see the very same thing happen in North America, and I dare say Cornwall. Well, I got a few people with me, good. Go ahead. It is what the scriptures teach. 
So these things must come to pass, say pass, so they, they, we don't live in this. It's not going to be a horrible, you know, it, it, we'll go through these things, through history. It seems to get more traumatic as we approach the end, but the end is not yet. And there will be people that teach that that's the end. And God's just going to frazzle the world into to hell in a handbasket with everybody. <laughs> God's judgment on the earth, and it's all over. That's not what the Scriptures teach. No, Jesus is taking time to say to his disciples, this is how it's going to go down. They asked, when are you coming back? What will be the sign of the end? And this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, and all the world is a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Say, and then. And watch what happens in the end. Because the end isn't just some cosmic blowing up the earth kind of event, although there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth, and there is, at the, there is a segment of final judgment for those who did not accept God. But it's a very small, it's not the celebrated end. Jesus doesn't celebrate that end. It grieves his heart, in fact. But what he celebrates is as the world gets darker and darker, the church gets brighter and brighter and stronger and stronger, the house of God the Bible says that the house of God will be more glorious at the end than it was in Acts. So what we see in Acts, which is so phenomenal, the promise is that the end time church will be even stronger, even more miracles, even more everything. Say, even more. That's the promise of Scripture. And so Jesus is teaching a parable. And he said, you know, the world, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God in the world, the kingdom of God, as God's kingdom is here, Jesus has set up his rule through, through his church, through the hearts of Christians, and he's, he's king of our hearts. So the kingdom, the kingdom of God that's in this world right now. And he said the kingdom is kind of like, in fact, he says it's just like a field. And in the field, there is wheat, and that's good. That's a good harvest, good crop, but there's also weeds. And so weeds, good and bad, Good and evil are growing at the same time. They're growing at the same time. And his disciples said, should we go out and pluck out all the evil? Point it out, examine it, out you go, weeds. We don't need you. And a lot of judgmental people, and, and I would say like, Pharise like the Pharisees were, people who use, and, and, and that's, that was, they felt it was legitimate. Should we go out and pluck out all the evil? We'll find an evil person. Pluck them out. Bah, God's judging you. Get out of here. You're, you don't belong in the kingdom. You don't belong in the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't do that. He said, because if you pull up a weed, and you might be able to identify it. If this is evil. We'll just pull it out. He said, you could end up by disrupting the wheat that's planting right beside it. And he said, I have a plan about good and evil growing up at the same time. And he said, I'll deal with it at the end. Say, God deals with it. So we don't deal with the weeds. We concentrate on wheat and making sure the wheat is growing, that, we, that the wheat of our life, the good in our life is growing. And here's what he says. Listen, you got to see this. He said, the field, he's, the disciples asked later, could you interpret that parable for us? He goes, yeah, I'd love to. The field is the world. The harvest, taking the wheat, is at the end of the age. What's at the end? The harvest. Say it together with me. What's at the end? 
the, the greatest harvesting of souls. And I, I, I could, it would take me probably four or five Sundays in a series to unpack this theme from Genesis to Revelation. It is undeniably and unmistakably throughout the scriptures. The Jewish calendar that, that as we look at it and go, why is it in the Bible? Why do we need to understand the Jewish calendar? The Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, those were agricultural feasts that celebrated the ingathering of crops that as we look, as we bring that, those, those calendar events through the cross event of Calvary, that we now look back in the Old Testament concealed, the New Testament revealed, and what we see about that is that he was, God was using the metaphors, the analogies to show what he wanted to do. And though Pentecost, the 19, I mean, it happened the first time in the upper room in Acts, but then throughout the dark ages, the power of the Holy Spirit got buried in the church. We can find little glimpses of it throughout written history, but really, really not there. And all of a sudden in the 1900s, there was a place called Azusa Street in Los Angeles where it was restored and rebirthed in the church. And it took about three and a half years for that message to go around the globe without internet, without planes, you know, being accessible, but people getting on trains. There were people from Ottawa that traveled on trains to Los Angeles to bring back the message of the Holy Spirit working today. And it's the Holy Spirit's power that causes the church to be effective in the preaching of the gospel, according to Acts. And so we saw, remember the more glorious Remember, the, 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 this house is going to be more glorious in the book of Acts. And so we're seeing God do things in history. And since 1900, so many, many great things. Why? Because in God's calendar book, the feast, the final feast, the feast of all feasts, of the ingathering of the world's population, um, will everybody get saved? No. No, but a lot more than we realize and that we understand. Listen to this verse from Acts. I don't have it on the screen. So don't, guys in the projection room, don't go crazy looking for this. In terms of Jesus being in heaven, for he must remain in heaven. He must remain in heaven. A lot of people overlook this verse. He must remain in heaven. Say must. He must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. You see, in God's timetable, that God loves the world so much he had a promise that I'm going to pour out my spirit and people are going to get saved in a way the world has never seen it. And that's the promise of God. And Jesus must remain in heaven until that happens. And I'm just, I don't see it happening. I see it happening in part, but not in the way the scriptures teach about it. And that's why I'm fairly bold with people about saying, well, Jesus can go back any minute. He can. We live in eminency. We don't want to forget that he's coming, but we also have a lot of work to do before he does. Because he must remain in heaven until everything the prophets foretold. In 2 Peter, the New Testament church in the time of the apostles, as Peter uh, in that first century is talking to the church, they started asking, well, Jesus said, and we read about it in the Old Testament, and he said this, they say, people who aren't sure, they're getting a little impatient about all this, they say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, my dad and my granddad and my great-granddad, and then and, and for the Jewish people all the way back, you know, since the, the, the Old Testament, they said, 
Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Is there really an end? Is there really going to be a coming where God fulfills, pours out his spirit, and we see Jews and Gentiles all over the world being gathered in? Peter said this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. In other words, God is not kind of kicking the can down the road. Well, Jesus says, hang on, you must remain. Hang on, no, hang on, Jesus. No, Jesus, hang on, soon, soon, soon. God's not kicking the can down. Together, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, cooperating, with, uh, we're cooperating as his church with his plan. Ever, um, instead, he is patient. Why? With you not wanting anyone to perish, that word is to be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell, a real place that's reserved for the devil and demons, but the, the eternal consequence for those that are, that are separated from God, you know, God doesn't want that, but everyone to come to repentance. Are you hearing me today? God has a plan, Jesus is coming back, but what he celebrates is the greatest event as we move toward the end is people being saved each and every day so that they do not end up in eternal separation. And that's good Bible. Can you put the slide up for me? I just wanna show you this. This is world, why is God waiting? I believe, just personally, uh, I can't, specifically back this up with scripture, but you can see the exponential peak of the world population um, just really in recent history. I believe that God is waiting at these final moments when the earth is most populated. The gospel will be stronger than it ever has. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation. He said, we're not afraid of the gospel. We speak the gospel, demonstrate the gospel. And have there have been times in church history where it's been difficult? Yes, but we're not holding the fort. We're not in trouble sometimes when the church looks like it's losing. We haven't lost yet. This battle is not over. We're coming into the final uh, the finest days of history when God is saying, all right, I've been pre preparing you guys. You're ready now. And this peak of, of population, I will be as bold and go on record today. I believe, I believe according to what scriptures teach that heaven will be far more populated than hell. I do not believe that hell will be more populated than heaven. I don't, there, there are people that will tell you that and since you're all Googling everything anyway, I'm just gonna say this. Yes, and they're gonna quote the scripture that narrow is the way and broad is the way to destruction when it's not talking about how many people are gonna get saved. It's talking about there's one way and one way only to heaven and his name is Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven. That's what that scripture is teaching. Not that a couple people and that misunderstanding with that and many other things has created an elitism in churches. Well, we made it and the world can go to hell in the handbasket. They're evil. They're weeds, weeds. And we're gonna hide in church until Jesus come back and then you'll see how evil and sinful you are while you burn in hell and you'll see that is not the heart of God. That is not the gospel message. <laughs> Instead, I do that facetiously, but it's almost not. And I think you understand what I'm saying. The days are coming, Amos declared, one of the Old Testament prophets whose prophecy is holding Jesus in heaven. 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. Let me paraphrase that for you. The harvest is going to happen at such a rate that churches aren't going to be able to keep up. Well, they got people in step one. People are charging through the door and getting the deliverance well and the healing well and every other well. And just as people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit, with the new wine dripping, we're going, we don't have enough room. We need more workers. We need more dream teamers. Come on, we're being over. We're trying to plow the field and get next Sunday ready. It's too late. We're already getting saved. We're already coming in. That's the promise of this scripture. And so that is the picture I want to give you today as we talk about the well of salvation and why this church was christened, named Harvest Christian Fellowship. We've dropped the Christian Fellowship. It really has become over the years Harvest and now you understand why. And as we dig out this well, I believe God's going to show it to us uh, in new strength. I'm gonna, you have some notes. I'm gonna go over them quickly. I want it to really kind of set the doctrinal piece of what it looks like in the days we're living in. Though they are troublesome, they are victorious. Um, the book of Acts is our model, only we're supposed to be better. Uh, how do we, how do we uh, go through this? Um, let me, I wanna show you this. So those who accepted his message, this is the Acts, the church has been birthed. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Say added. Yeah, added. Addition is excellent. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved, Acts 2.47. A church that has a well of salvation that expects people to get saved will experience consistent and regular salvations. Consistent and regular salvations. I, I'm just, my heart is so full today that since January, um, since January this year, and I know we've had, you know, on and off and up and down, and, but since January this year, 25 people have responded at the end of a message on a Sunday and received Jesus into their heart. 25 people. 16, 16 people got water baptized to take that next step. Often people will say, that's great. What, do, do, we, do we track it all? We track it all. We, we think it's important to know how many first-timers, we're going to talk about that in a moment, how many people say yes to Jesus, how many take a next step to water baptism, how many people uh, uh, go into step one and to roots, and, and, and that we're trying to take care of what God has given us to take care of together as a church. Consistent rate of salvation should be expected. The scriptures go on, though. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, say multiplication. I think we're doing a great job at adding. And, and, and I don't want to belittle addition, but I, I want to stir your faith as we redig this well and expect people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, to have their lives turned upside down for good, changed from the inside out. I believe it's time that we begin to pray and expect not salvation by addition, but salvation by multiplication. And that means each and every one of us is involved in leading somebody to Jesus because where one puts 1,000, two puts 10,000. And just like, just like growth biologically happens exponentially, it happens that way in the kingdom as well. So let's see, number two, from addition, salvation, to multiplication, salvation. Here's another one. Saul, who was converted to Paul, I don't have time to unpack this, but if you're familiar with the scriptures, you would know that he was literally part of killing Christians, trying to knock them uh, to preserve the Jewish uh, faith. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Well, that Saul guy got converted to Paul because he met Jesus one day. 
And Jesus literally just put his glory on him in a way that he knocked him off his horse. He said, what are you doing? And he said, who is that, Lord? <laughs> he actually had a sense of who Jesus was. I want to tell you, you need to expect, and I need to expect, unlikely salvations, unlikely. I'm just showing you book of Acts, but we're supposed to be more. So we're going uh, consistent, uh, uh, go from addition to multiplication. Let's see some unlikely. People that you would say, oh, he would never get saved. She would never get saved. You want to bet? Because you don't do the saving. It's not dependent on how eloquent you are. It's just whether or not we can get them into the presence of God and they can hear the good news of the gospel. In fact, look at this. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in the house. Another scripture, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Uh, number four, we need to believe for whole household, whole family salvations. Now, I thought about this. There are a lot of examples already happening. This well is already beginning uh, to bubble up. There are some of you that uh, invited a mom or a dad to a Christmas uh, event, and dad is sitting uh, in, the, in this, and I won't, because I didn't ask him permission, but people may have figured that all out already. Whole family salvations. That families get swept in. And in, in past historical moves of God, that is a sign, just like it was in Acts, that we can go, wow, God, God's amping it up. God's increasing what he's doing because we're seeing family members, moms, dads, sisters. And we have examples of that already all through. How do we re-dig this well and make sure it's bubbling up? This is quick. I'll give them to you. Number one. Just believe that God wants to save the people around your life. Just start believing it. Just begin to engage your faith to go, God wants to save my loved ones. I love it when you bring someone and at the end of a service, we ask and we say every head bowed and eyes closed and sometimes we do eyes open, but either way, when that hand goes up and if it's eyes closed, you're peeking because you just want to see a mom or dad or your friend. And I'll tell you, and, I, and those of you that have had this happen, you know this to be true. That there's no greater joy, there's no greater excitement when that person, just it's like the lights come on, their hand goes up and they go, I, I want to experience this. No greater joy. A number of years ago, the Lord began to speak to me about giving an invitation at the end of a service for someone to receive Jesus. And as a pastor, and I regret this, for so many years, I focused the ministry of this house to those who are already, the Bible calls them sheep, we're not dumb. It's just, it's the metaphor that God is our shepherd and we're his sheep. But it, it, the metaphor carries and the analogy carries throughout scriptures. And I focused on keeping the sheep happy. Because happy sheep, happy life as a pastor. And it negated what was so glaringly obvious in the scriptures that as a church we're not to be focusing on those people who are already, we, we care about and we provide for, but we do not focus on people who already know Jesus. Those people begin their relationship. We care for one another, but the need of a shepherd was for the one. Jesus went after the one. There was this huge paradigm shift that Jesus taught and said the 99, we leave with the under shepherds, but we're taking the gunpowder, we're taking everything we got, and we're going after the one. And that was a major shift in this house a number of years ago. And I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't even realize that that was happening. And week after week, I would give an invitation. Is there anyone here today who would like to accept Jesus? And I argued with Jesus. I said, I know everybody in the room, and I know everybody's saved. 
Week one, week two, nobody. Week three, four, five, nobody. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, nobody. Month one, two, three, four. It was over six months until the first hand went up. I went, it took you long enough, Jesus. No, I said, yes! Can I tell you that, as we said, we we're celebrating 25 people who have done that, and almost in every service, someone comes to know Jesus here at Harvest. Addition, we're going to multiplication, but that's our mission. I recently was asked by a pastor, what is the mission of your church? I said, that is so easy. We want people to know God. We want them to find freedom from yesterday. We want them to discover their unique gifting, and we want them to make a difference with their life and see somebody else get saved. It is simple, and yet it's profound, and we're putting our hands to this. Number two, pray for them to encounter God's goodness. God's judgment is for a day down the road. It is not for today. Today, God is pouring out his grace and his mercy. Don't tell them about a God that's gonna fry them in hell. Is it, Pastor, isn't that true? Yes, it is. But the Bible said it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. You can scare a person, but it will not take root in their life. Teach them about the goodness of God. And as they come toward God and then understand they are separated and they deserve his judgment, they'll put all that together and go, oh, yes, 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 yes. But it's the goodness of God that draws their heart, not the judgment of God. It is the goodness. Pray for them, number two, to encounter God's goodness. We call it Focus on Five. Always carry five names in your wallet or just in your memory that you're praying for. Number three, share your story of what Jesus has done for you. Because here's the deal. People can argue with your theology. All right? People can argue with your theology, your doctrine, but they can't argue with your story. The blind man that was the blind man in the New Testament, I once was blind and now I see. We celebrated that story at Christmas time or at Easter time. So they asked him, how did Jesus do it? Well, I don't know. I think it was that Old Testament verse there. You know, he was quoting that, and then there was like the power. You have to say, in the name of Jesus. And I think he said that. Even though he's Jesus, I'm not sure. But then he did, and I think that's how I got healed. And then they could argue every point. Ah, I don't think so. No, he goes, how am I supposed to know? I don't know. I came in blind. I went out seeing. It's a good Jesus. All I know is I want to follow him for the rest of my life. What a story. you got to know what he did for me. You see, they can't argue with your story. They can't go, no, you, you, you don't really see, do you? And then they went and talked to his parents. Was he really blind from birth? Was he really a heroin, heroin addict and now he's clean? Your story, your story, share your story. Number four, be a bringer. And I don't have enough time to tell the story about Pastor Frank, who's in leadership, helps in this, in this church. He's a leader to me and helps us here. And, he, he, he spoke a profound, with his Brazilian accent, he said, today, I want to tell you about being a bringer. And we had no idea what a bringer was until we sounded it out as bringer. Bringer. You bring people to church. The scriptures, Luke 14, go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind, which aren't literal physical conditions. They could be, but it isn't what Jesus was talking about. It's that people are poor spiritually, maimed by life's circumstances, lame and can't even find their way to find spiritual truth, and they're, we're all spiritually blind. He said, bring them, just bring, bring people to church. Thank you. I'm not sure why I'm emotional about this, but I just, just, it just stirs me. 
Thank you, we're only in June, and you've been amazing bringers, because 105 first-timers have stepped through the door since January. 105 people who've never been to Harvest before have stepped through our doors to be a part of a service, to experience the presence and the power of God. And like the, like the paralytic of old that couldn't get to Jesus, four guys broke open the roof and lowered him down so he could be healed and saved. What we determined as a church, and I'm gonna close with this, what we determined as a church, just like that roof was a barrier and the crowds were a barrier, we found out there were a lot of barriers to the unchurched people of Cornwall and region to get into church. And we said, we're gonna remove the barriers. And so admittedly, we don't look like other churches. That doesn't make us better. We're not celebrating like that this is the way it should be. But for us, it was the way to get the roof off. And we just began to question and ask one another, what are things that stand in the way of somebody unchurched coming in for the first time, maybe never been in a church in their life, to sit down and be unhindered so that they could receive his presence and power. And we're gonna continue doing that. Until the, until the final moments of time here at Harvest, we want this well to be bubbling up like never before. Addition to multiplication. Come on, listen, God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use us as a church to see this region impacted like never before before. How many people do I have on board for that well today? Would you go ahead and just thank the Lord. Put your hands together and just thank God for people that will be saved in the years, months, days to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We've been talking about it today and perhaps you're here and you've never received Jesus into your heart. I would say that the majority of people here today have done that. That's why there's a lot of joy and, and our lives aren't perfect and we have difficulties and troubles but we trust one who walks this life with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The thought, of be, the thought of being eternally separated from Jesus is a horrible thought. And yet, let's put a new thought in, being in relationship with Jesus for all the days of your life, and it could start right now. If you're here today and you would say, I'm not in relationship with Jesus the way you talk about. I've never invited him into my life to forgive me of my sin. Then today's your day. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It would be my utmost privilege and honor to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. If that's you today, just lift your hand wherever you are. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Thank you. I see your hand. Is there anyone else today that would just put their hand up and say, include me in that prayer, Pastor? I just want to glance and make sure. Is there anyone else? Well, God bless you, ma'am. We're going right here, right here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> never gets old. <laughs> Would you pray this prayer with us? I'm crying because it's the greatest moment. There is no other moment. Winnie and Bert, your miracle baby, I'm sure you cannot capture as you looked at her, she came into the world. Today, spiritual birth is as powerful to God and the angels in heaven. If you put your hand up, pray this prayer with us and rejoice with you, dear Jesus. Thank you that you love me just the way I am. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I trust you today to change my life as I walk with you all the days of my life into eternity with you. Amen.
I believe you prayed that prayer. You're born again. Come on, stand to your feet. We're going to worship the Lord before we go today. you're facing just go believe trust he's going to move your mountains be blessed have an amazing week and we'll see you back here next week